Welcome to the Bible Study. I'm Stephen Lawson, president of One Passion Ministries, and each week I will teach verse by verse through a passage of Scripture so that you can better understand the Word of God and put it into practice in your life. Join me now as we look together into this section of the Bible. All right, guys, here we are. Um, the Bible study, all right? Uh, thrilled you're here. Kent has taken my notes from me and has just now given them back, so uh, there is no be nice to Kent anymore. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was an accident. No such thing as accidents. Not in a world that God sovereignly rules over. There's no, no Hebrew word for coincidence. That's very true. Thank you, sir. Yeah, he even uses the evil men to uh, accomplish his greater good. <laughs> All right. What thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, I want to welcome those who are watching by live stream, wherever you are around the world. Blessings to you. And we're thrilled you're here. Um, we are in Romans chapter 16, and as... I mentioned that. I'm reminded I need to start in a word of prayer. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, every time we open your word, we are mindful that we need the Holy Spirit to be actively at work in our minds, in our hearts, shedding light on the passage so that we can see and understand what you would have us to know. Lord, I pray for these men who have gathered here this morning. Um, I do ask that you would impart to them uh, a great measure of truth that they can apply to their own lives, and that you would further mature them and develop them uh, in Christ-likeness. I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit and use me as simply a tool, an instrument to expound your Word. Uh, we ask that you continue to build the outreach of this study um, to impact just more and more people. So we commit all of this into your hands. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we're in Romans chapter 16. And today I want us to look at verses 1 and 2. The title of this message is uh, A Servant of the Servants. A Servant of the Servants. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is in Centria, uh, that you receive, receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you, for she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. We're going to stop right there. Um, in our study of Romans, we've come to the last chapter, um, but it's going to take us a little while to go through this last chapter. And my original plan was to look at the first seven verses. And as I began to walk through these first two verses, I realized that I, that I had more than I could squeeze in to, to this study. So we're going to look at just the first two verses uh, this morning. And we're going to look at this woman, Phoebe, um, who is a very important person 
um, in the early church, and she really uh, is worthy of our focus and in, uh, attention. So I, I just can't fly past her. Um, in this last section, verses 1 through, um, really through verse 15, there's almost 30 names that are listed. Some we know more about than, than others. And on top of that, there are households that are mentioned as well. So there is a multiplicity of, of names here, and it speaks volumes of this fact that not only was the Apostle Paul a master theologian and a powerful preacher uh, and a dynamic missionary and active church planter, but that he was also focused on the individual needs of people. Uh, it's easy to get out of balance and to be so project-oriented that you lose sight of people. And so the Apostle Paul really is bearing uh, somewhat of his heart in this last chapter. And if you're like me, I've read far more out of Romans 8 and 9 and Romans 1 and 3 than I have out of Romans 16. And so, I, I want us to take some time here because this is very important. Number one, because it's in the Word of God, so therefore it is important. But second, there's something for us to learn here and perhaps something, some things that you've not yet seen. And so we're going to take our time as we look at this, and not only almost 30 names in just verses 1 through 15, but in verses 21 through 23, there's another eight names. So when you add this up, it's almost 40 names that are mentioned in this last chapter of, of Romans, and Paul is intentionally making a point here, I think, for us. Uh, who are 2,000 years removed, that there needs to be a list of people in our spiritual lives, uh, a circles, concentric circles of relationships and networking with other believers. Uh, Christianity is not a Lone Ranger religion. It's never intended for us to be, for it to be lived in a cul-de-sac where it's just us and maybe even just one or two people. That's not the way the Apostle Paul lived. And as he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 16 and 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And so there's even something for me and for us to imitate as we see this that we just can't walk past people uh, as we're serving the Lord. Um, no, we, our, our ministry is to people. And so, as we look at this, I, I want you to be thinking, uh, as you live your Christian life, about people in your spheres of, of influence that you need to be extending yourself to and be mindful of uh, as you live your Christian life. So, for that reason, we're going to look at only Phoebe uh, today. I've never taught on Phoebe so this is uh, even new for me, and um, so some of you may want to, you young men may want to name your next daughter Phoebe, okay? So, <laughs> so five things I want to tell you about Phoebe, and number one is she's a sister in Christ, a sister in Christ. 
Paul mentions this first because this is most important. That she's a true believer in, in the Lord. So, Paul begins, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. So, Paul commends to the church in Rome our sister Phoebe. And to commend her means to recommend her for your acceptance into their heart and into their arms. Um, the fact that she is a sister means that she's been born again, that she has been adopted by the Lord into the family of God. And Paul talked earlier in chapter 8 and verse 15 about the spirit of adoption uh, that cries in our heart, Abba, Father. It's true of every believer, and Phoebe is one of those. Her name means bright or radiant, and it's, it's actually a pagan name. It's a secular name, uh, and so it's a small indication that she was born uh, really without a Christian influence but has come to know the Lord. We don't know how she came to know the Lord, but I'm going to speculate here in just a little bit how she probably did come to know the Lord. But Paul commends her to the church in Rome. She is with him. And the church in Rome is 756 miles away. And Paul is sending her to the church in Rome. And the reason he is sending her is because she is most probably the one who carries the book of Romans from Paul's hand to the leaders of the church in Rome. So she is a, a courier, if you will, of the book of, of Romans. And that's why he... Uh, says this in this verse, I, I commend her to you. I need for you to receive her um, because she is carrying an extraordinary letter, the book of Romans. And so this is an extraordinary assignment that the Lord has given to her. And Paul is not going to give the book of Romans to just anyone. This is a big assignment, and there's probably other people who will be accompanying her because you're not going to send just a woman by herself in the ancient world to travel 756 miles uh, to go to Rome, but we don't know who was with her. But nevertheless, she was so highly thought of by the Apostle Paul that the Lord most probably places into her hands this very important letter for her to carry. But at this point, what I want you to see is that she is a sister in Christ, and that's why Paul begins a five-fold description of her with this fact that she is she's in the family. She is a, a sister in the Lord and should be treated with all of the dignities that should be afforded to a sister in the Lord. So, that, that's, that's number one. And it also shows how Christianity has really elevated the role of women. Because in the ancient world, this would not have been handed to a, a woman who's just in the Roman Empire outside of Christian circles. Um, the rise of Christianity brought about the rise 
of the status of, of women as it, it, it put them on a pedestal in many ways and, and showed them honor and showed them respect. And it's an amazing thing here that Paul would even hand to this precious woman the book of Romans that we might have put into the hands of a man, Paul put it into Phoebe's hands. Second thing I want you to note is she's a servant of the church because all sons and daughters of Christ, all brothers and sisters in Christ are to be servants, listen to this, not only of the church but also in the church. And so that's what we continue to read here. He then adds, who is a servant uh, of the church in Centuria. So, let's just talk about this word servant. A servant is one who gives their life away for the benefit of others. A, a servant is one who makes personal sacrifices for the good of others. Service is never to be easy. It's intended that there is a price to pay to be a servant. If it's easy, you're really not a servant. Um, it always requires an element of um, paying a price on behalf of others that I can help you in your Christian life. And it requires giving of time. It requires giving effort. And it even requires giving resources uh, to meet the needs in the lives of others. Now, this word servant, I'm going to pronounce it diakonos, is used for elsewhere for a deacon, um, but it was really used for one who would run errands on behalf of someone else. Uh, it speaks to kind of a, the behind-the-scenes support help. Um, it's used, for example, in John 2, verse 5, of the, of the servants that, to whom Jesus said, go fill the six water pots and bring it back to me, and then Jesus turned water to wine. So it, it was used of a, of, a, of a table waiter, if you will. Um, and that's the role that Phoebe performed in the church there in, um, in, this, in this region. We'll, we'll talk about where she is in just a moment. But for this point... I just want to underscore and remind us what we already know, that to be a servant is very important in the kingdom of God. To be a servant is to assume the role that Christ assumed. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 20 and verse 26, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. Well, I think it, it, it's a noble thing for us to want to be great in the eyes of God. It would be a false humility to say, I don't want to be great in the eyes of God. Um, in fact, you'd be a sluggard uh, if you did not want to do great things for God. Uh, you ought to want to do great things for God. Jonathan Edwards, in his resolutions, in resolution number 63, said, resolved to, that at any point in time, there would be only one Christian on the earth, who would be the most complete Christian, resolved, I will be that one in my lifetime. That is a worthy ambition, to want to be the most complete Christian I could possibly 
be. Well, according to Jesus, that would mean then you would be a servant. You would be serving others. Whether you are serving behind the scenes or whether you're serving up front, in whatever capacity, you're pouring your life out on behalf of others. You're not a taker, you're a giver. That's what Phoebe was. And to give you just a couple other verses, only because this is so important, in Matthew 23, verse 11, Jesus said, The greatest among you shall be your servant. And in Mark 9, verse 35, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. So, in other words, he's saying, if you want to be first, go to the end of the line and begin to serve starting at the end of the line. And we'll see where that takes you. So, this was Phoebe who served the needs of those in the church and those associated with the church. And let's just dig a little bit deeper here of the church in Centuria. Well, that church in Centuria was six and a half miles from Corinth. It was actually the seaport for the bustling city of Corinth, which was a major hub in the, in the ancient world. And so she is a member of the church that's six and a half miles away from the church of Corinth. And the reason that the city of Corinth is important at this point is that's where Paul was. Paul wrote the book of Romans from the church and from the city in Corinth. So obviously, Phoebe has traveled the six and a half miles from Centuria to Corinth to be where Paul is, and as we'll see in a little bit, the reason she came, it's at the end of verse 2, is because she's there serving the needs of Paul, who is on the road and is traveling, though he's there for 18 months in, in Corinth, uh, as long as time he was in one place except for the city in Ephesus, she's there serving Paul, and no doubt Paul observes how faithful this woman is, I can entrust this, this book to her because I see by the example of her life how selfless she is and how she will expend herself in, in the cause of Christ. And so, uh, th that's an important thing for us to, to see here. And so, this is why Paul commends her to receive her because he's passing this book off to her, but sh she's obviously active to have traveled the six and a half miles to come to Corinth. We don't know if it was once. We don't know if it was multiple times. We don't know. It may be Paul led her to Christ. We, we don't even know. Um, and it may be that this church in Centuria, it, it may be that Paul planted that church because it's right there in the immediate region. It, it may be it's a sister church that Paul sent someone from Corinth out to uh, to, to, the, to, the, to the port there to, uh, because it's in a very strategic place because that's where the ships are coming in. That's where merchants are coming. That's where traveling salesmen are coming. Uh, that's where uh, a lot of foot traffic is, is taking place, and that's where she was. But this woman is, is serving the needs 
uh, of the saints. Now, this raises another question, which is, was this woman a deaconess? Um, and some churches have deaconesses. Um, some fine churches have deaconesses. Some not-so-good churches have deaconesses. Um, I, I'll weigh in on this myself. I do not think she was a deaconess. Uh, I don't think that that is an office that is uh, officially appointed uh, in the early church. So, why would I say that? I, I want to give you two compelling reasons. Uh, the first is, servant here is not in the feminine, it's in the neuter. And so, it's not a deaconess, literally per se, um, it is a woman who served as a servant. So, I think it's in a general capacity. But even more compelling is the other passages in the New Testament that talk about the offices in the New Testament church. A deaconess is never designated um, as an official office in the church. And I just want to give you those passages before we move on. In Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul addresses the, the, church, uh, the church in Philippi, and in the very first verse of that book, he addresses it to the overseers and deacons, close quote. The overseers are the elders or the pastors of the church in Philippi, and the book of Philippians was written after the book of Romans. Need a pen, Kent? No, that's okay. No, you're just making a lot of noise there. That's all right. <laughs> no, that's okay. Confession's good for the soul. Okay. Much grace here, Kent. Much grace. Okay. So, Philippians 1.1, which was written after Romans, where there would even be further development of church structure, there's no mention of a deaconess. Next passage, 1 Timothy 3 uh, verse 1 speaks of the office of overseer, and verse 8 speaks of the uh, office of deacon, but there's no mention of a deaconess, per se. And just so that in the Q&A, just to head this off, if someone wants to ask me this question, uh, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 11, it says, women must be dignified. Someone will say, well, see, there's the office of deaconess. No, that's not the office of deaconess. That's a woman. And that woman is the wife of the deacon. That the deacon's wife even needs to be of a certain uh, nature. Uh, the other passage would be Titus 1 verse 5, where Paul was to appoint elders, but there's no mention of appointing deaconesses. And in Titus 1, verse 7, he refers to them as overseers. But again, there's no mention of a deaconess. And then also in Acts 6, verse 3, which is considered the prototype of the office of deacon, though deacon is not mentioned in that passage, it says, select from among you seven men full of the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of appointing women. So, it's not the end of the world if a church has deaconesses. Uh, John MacArthur's church has deaconesses, and it's certainly not a, uh, a liberal church. Uh, however, um, I just don't think that that's what this passage is, is teaching. I think she's just a, a servant of the church. Um, who And women like this are what make the church hum and function and and take place. You take the women out of a church, and the church 
has become a bus station. I mean, it, it just, it, there's not a whole lot going on for it to be said for it. Um, so, anyway, uh, the point I want to make here, though, by way of application is for us to learn from Phoebe, you need to be a servant of the church. That's, that's the point. Uh, you need to be a servant of the church in whatever capacity is opened before you. Whether you're a teacher, whether you're a greeter, whether you call on visitors, whether you put up chairs, whether you're part of running the sound system, whether you're a discipler, whether you are in pastoral care, whether you're part of a ministry, uh, a music team, whether you are putting out supplies, whatever the capacity, it's all hands on deck. And everybody, every Christian needs to have some place of ministry or service in a church. And growing churches have growing needs, okay? So, uh, to be a member of a church is not a spectator sport. Uh, You've got to be on the field, and putting your shoulder to the plow in some capacity, whatever that is. And you may say, well, that's not the position I wanted to play. Well, while you're waiting to play your, your, your glorified position, put your shoulder to the plow. And even God can't steer a parked car. Uh, be moving out to serve the Lord, and God may eventually put you where you want to be serving. All right, let's keep moving. Number three. Now, not only was she a sister in the Lord, and not only was she a servant of the church, but third, she's a saint in the Lord. That's the third thing we want to see. And by way of introduction, a saint is a holy one. And if you have a New American Standard like I do, in the side margin, you will see uh, um, a, a literal translation for saint, which is a holy one. That, that is someone who has been separated from the world, and set apart under the kingdom of God. Every Christian is a saint. So, let, let's look how verse 2 begins, that you receive her in the Lord. Uh, to receive her means to accept her favorably, to welcome her into your fellowship. And in the Lord means really in the name of the Lord or as a fel- fellow believer. And then he adds, and at the beginning of verse 2, in a manner worthy of the saints. And so, that, that parallels with in the Lord. So, all saints are in the, in the Lord, and Paul is vouching for the fact that she's a true believer. When she shows up in Rome with this letter, they don't, they don't know who she is. They don't know her. And Paul is saying, no, you receive her in the Lord. That this woman is a saint, a, a true saint. And sometimes we use it in a, in a limited capacity. Uh, someone who's exemplary in their Christian walk, we, we, may, we may say, wow, she's really a saint. Well, every believer in the Lord is a saint according to the Word of God. And just to uh, document that, when this book began uh, in Romans 1 and verse 7, Paul addressed this book to the church in Rome, and he says, to all who are beloved of the Lord in Rome, called as saints. Do you see that? Everyone who is sovereignly called by God out of darkness into light with the effectual um, call of the Holy Spirit to the elect are saints. So, 
you are a saint in God's eyes if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And what that means is you have been rescued out of darkness, and you have been separated from your former way of life. You no longer live the way you once lived before you became a Christian. There's been a firewall put up between who you are now and what you once were. And that's ancient history, what you once were. You are no longer living according to the flesh any longer. And you now are in the kingdom of light, and you now are a blood-bought child of God, and you are now pursuing holiness, sometimes more, sometimes less, but there nevertheless is this progressive sanctification that is now taking place in the life of every believer. And so, Phoebe is one of those, and even Paul himself, which isn't a bad reference point, (laughs) commends her to the church in Rome and says, she's a saint, and you are to treat her in a manner worthy of the saints. You You are, in other words, to show Christian love to her. And, and to show Christian charity and hospitality uh, to her. And he goes on to say, and that you help her in whatever manner she may have need of you. <laughs> that's an open-ended request. I, I mean, that's like a blank check signed by Paul and handed to the church in Rome. And, and in essence, is saying, whatever Phoebe fills in the amount, you, you need to be good for it. You need to pay for it. You need to take care of this woman. She, she, is, she is worthy of, of your support. Number one, because she's a sister, so you take care of her. But even further, number two, he goes on to say, for she herself has been a helper of many. You see that in verse two? So, in a sense, Paul is saying, she has poured her life out for so many Saints here, you pour out your life for her. You, you, you take care of this woman, and, and you show her the respect, but you also give to her the resources that, that she needs uh, to be comfortable there as she has brought uh, this, this letter to you, and you put in her knapsack whatever she needs when she returns back to, to me. So, Uh, The point here is that she's a saint and is to be treated as a saint, and you need to know who you are in the Lord. And this is one of the chief ways the Apostle Paul refers to uh, a believer in his 13 epistles is as a saint. We, We use the term Christian very openly, and that's out of Acts 11, which was really a term of derision that the world mocked the early believers, calling them Christians, little Christ. Paul never picks up on that in his 13 epistles. He always refers primarily to a believer as a saint, and that, that you are a holy one. Uh, you, you, you are now living a new holy life that is radically different from the way you previously lived. So, as you think about your life, you need to live like who you are. You need to live like what you are. Um, you, you need to live 
with a distinctively different lifestyle than the world around you. Now, that does not mean to be odd. That doesn't mean to be weird. That, that, that doesn't mean to be awkward. It doesn't mean that, that you can't enjoy things in the world. That, that doesn't mean that at all. It doesn't mean that you have to go live in a, in a commune someplace, uh, hold up, because there's no holiness in a hole. Uh, you need to, nevertheless, have different values. You need to have different priorities. You need to have different language. You need to have a different way that you present yourself, a different way you care for people than the world around you. You need to stand out like a bright star on a dark night as we live in this sinful and adulterous generation. So that's the point of, of being a saint. You are a saint. Live like one. Now, number four. I want, to, I want to keep digging a little bit deeper here. And number four, she is a helper of many. A, a helper of many. Because we see in the middle of verse two, for she herself has been a helper of many. Now, you need to know that helper is a different word from servant that is mentioned in verse one. And this is the only time in the New Testament this word for helper is, is used and it is a feminine form of this, of this noun, and it means, this is going to be an awkward sounding word, though I understand what it means. I think you will as well. She is a patroness. She is a supporter of the needs of others, and that fleshes out on many different levels. Um, it could be financially a patroness. Uh, the ministry of George Whitfield, the great English evangelist, was in large measure um, helped financially by Lady Huntington, who was just known as his patroness. And he had a huge debt that hung around his neck because he started the orphanage in Georgia and spent his ministry trying to raise the money to, to pay for this orphanage, out of the goodness of his, of his own Christian heart, he started this and didn't have the funds really to keep it going, and it, and it was a heavy burden, and he basically died penniless. But Lady Huntington, who was a woman of, 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 of great means, uh, came alongside of him, in essence, and took that burden off of him, which really wasn't even for him, it was for the orphans in, in Georgia. Well, that's exactly what Phoebe was like. She was probably a woman of some social status with some means that she put to good use to help others. And the word helper here uh, really indicates that uh, she was a benefactress, if that's even a word, <laughs> uh, a benefactor in a, with a feminine uh, ending who gave, who, who would, uh, we'll just, I'll try to contextualize this today, who would open up her home, who would open up her pocketbook, who would open up her heart, who would open up her arms, and was there to, to aid and to help other people. Now, think about this. She is living in the seaport 
where there are all kinds of visitors that are coming into the church in Centuria. And no doubt there would even be traveling preachers and itinerant evangelists and, and people passing through and maybe even some trying to get to Corinth because Paul is, is there. And back then there's, there's no, uh, you know, Marriott hotels and there, there, there's no grocery stores and 7-Elevens. And I mean, you get on a ship and you head to, to this part of the known world. I mean, you don't know how this is going to how you're going to get from point A to point B, but God plants people like this in the body of Christ along the way to, to help His servants and to help even needs within the church. And God bless people like, like Phoebe, who, who just have a spirit of generosity uh, about them. And I want you to note the word many, uh, the word many means of a great number. It's used in Matthew 4.25 of large crowds. And it's used in Matthew 7.13 of the many who are on the broad road headed for destruction in comparison to the few who are on the narrow path. So it's not just that this woman helped out two or three people. I mean, that th this woman... It ha has, has helped many, a great number of, of people that the Lord has providentially brought across her path. What, what a, an incredible thing to be said about someone. I mean, you're giving and you're expecting nothing in, in return. I mean, there, there's, there, there's no favor that's going to come back to you. You're just giving because the need is there. And this is a, a brother or a sister in the Lord. But to add to that, number five, she was, number five, a supporter of Paul. And I want you to note what's at the end of verse two. He adds this, just to humbly mention this. He just tacks this on at the end of this verse, so as not to draw attention to himself, but to draw attention to Phoebe, to make sure that they really take care of her. He adds, and of myself as well. Now, that means she helped take care of the needs of the Apostle Paul as he traveled to Corinth on his missionary journey and provided assistance to him at every level. And that would, that would take in a lot of things. Um, it could take in lodging. It could take in food. It could take in supplies. It could take in clean clothes. It could take in warmer clothes. It could take in a lamp. It could take in reading material. It could take in some discretionary income, as well as provide encouragement and moral support and prayer. I mean, a woman like that is worth her weight in solid gold. You, you couldn't even put a price tag on the value of a woman like that to the Apostle Paul 
as he's just a man on the move for God. At a time when there's no credit cards, at a time when there's robbers and thieves everywhere, and Paul fell in among those, and you, you don't want to carry a lot of money with you because you, you're going to be a target for people. And how the body of Christ rallied um, around people like Paul, and Phoebe is just one of, of many. And, and who knows who the Phoebes were who were in Ephesus or who were in Philippi or who were in Thessalonica or who were in wherever, Athens. Um, God always has his people in those places where he sends his servants there to care for them. Now, here's what should be encouraging uh, to you, that as God brings people across your path and God uses you to help care for them, and as God even brings itinerant preachers and evangelists across your path, whatever and as you help them, whatever reward will come to someone like Paul. Now, think about the reward that's going to come to Paul on the last day. Only God knows. I can't even speculate. But I would have to reasonably assume there's going to be many crowns. Phoebe will share equally in the reward that goes to Paul because she had a major part in helping facilitate what God called him to do. Now, I, I want to turn in the time that we have that remains to a couple of passages, and I just want to, I want you to see this. Come to Matthew chapter 10 in verse 40, and I want you to see this passage through these eyes because Jesus spoke highly of people like, like Phoebe who are genuine servants of the Lord, but also supporters and helpers of those who preach the Word of God and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, in Matthew 10, verse 40, Jesus is the speaker as He commissions and sends out His disciples. This is like a pre-Great Commission. This is a, almost like a trial run. This is almost like a dress rehearsal before the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And this is a part of their training as he will send out the, the 12 disciples um, and they will come back and report to him that this is like an initial dry run before Jesus will later ascend to heaven, but before that give them the Great Commission in Matthew 28, okay? So, in verse 40, he who receives you receives me. Now, just stop right there. He who receives you is referring to when the disciples are sent out, those who will receive them and care for them. Because in Matthew 10, verse 9, Jesus told them, do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts. So, don't be traveling with a bunch of money. Verse 10, or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals, or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. So, in other words, you don't need a U-Haul behind your chariot as, as you're going out 
to, to serve me. Whenever you get there, God's people need to take care of you. And so you don't need two coats. You don't need copper and silver and, and gold. You don't need a big suitcase. You just go and preach the gospel. And you will be worthy of the support that will be given to you. So that leads us now to verse 40 that I just began to read. He who receives you, that's referring to once you're out there on the field preaching the gospel and, and, and ministering in, in, in my name, he who receives you receives me because I'm the one who sent you. And not, there's a solidarity between the one who sends and the one who goes. He who receives you receives me. And then he adds this, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. That refers to God the Father. So there's this triangle here. The one who is sent, the one who sends the one who is sent, and then the one who sends the one who sends the one who is sent. God the Father, God the Son, and the preacher. So notice, he who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. Now, verse 41, he talks about the reward that comes to the one who supports the one who is sent. He who receives a prophet. Now, a prophet is one who speaks for God. A prophet is a preacher. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, meaning what, what that means is in common language, you, 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 you receive a prophet for who he is. He's a prophet. You know he's a prophet. And so you're to treat him like a prophet and care for him like, like a prophet. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet, watch this, shall receive a prophet's reward. So whatever reward on the last day when he stands before Christ and is rewarded by Christ on the last day for his sacrifice to be a servant, to give his life away you will share in his reward because you are a servant of the servant. You're a servant of the one who is serving the Word of God to others. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, you're part of Team Jesus, and, and, and you're going to share in that reward. So he continues, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And a righteous man refers to the character of the prophet. It refers to his spirituality. And then he adds in verse 42, And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now, what this is saying is, these little ones is not referring to, to serving in the nursery. Okay? I've heard this verse misquoted so many times. It's wonderful to serve in the nursery. My wife served in the nursery this past Sunday. She got out of hearing me so she could be <laughs> in the nursery. So she kind of stepped up. Um, and great will be her reward for serving in the nursery. But that's not what this is referring to. These little ones literally just simply means these humble ones. And they're identified as a disciple earlier in verse 42. These little ones is referring to a disciple. It's referring to the twelve who were sent out. And so, whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these humble ones, these little ones, 
even a cup of cold water to drink. I mean, they're out on the road going from village to village, preaching the Word of God. They're being persecuted. They, they, they're, they've been instructed by the Lord not to carry a bunch of stuff with them because that's going to slow them down on the mission. So, as they circulate, even if you give to one of these disciples a cup of cold water, you're not going to lose your reward. The Lord sees it all. The Lord knows it all. The Lord remembers it all. He's keeping impeccable books. And you're going to be rewarded on the last day for helping that one spread the Word of God. You, you locked arms with Him. You got in the same car with Him, and you're helping Him. Now, look at the next verse. Or, excuse me, there is no more next verse. Okay. So, come to Matthew 11. I think it's Matthew 11. You know, it's not Matthew 11. Um, it is... Come to Matthew 19. We'll test how well I know the Bible. <laughs> it's Matthew 19, verse 27. Okay, here's the context. You got to hang with me here because I'm running out of time. But I want you to see this. What has just happened is the rich young ruler, who's got lots of money, has come to Christ and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, keep all the commandments, which is impossible. He wanted, he wanted the rich young ruler to see his sin and need for a Savior. And he goes, oh, I've kept them all. Jesus peers in his heart, and he sees greed and covetousness. So to help him see his greed and covetousness, Jesus says, go sell everything you have and come follow me. It does not mean you have to buy your way into heaven, and it does not mean that you have to give away everything in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, but it does mean you have to repent of your idols. And he was unwilling to do that. So immediately after that, and Jesus said it'd be easier for a rich man to enter into the king, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the disciple says, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, with men it's impossible. But with God all things are possible. Because salvation is of the Lord. So, Peter then speaks up here in verse 27 and says, we've left everything. We've done what the rich young ruler would not do. We, we've left everything and followed you. Why have they followed him? To preach the gospel. They've left business. They've left fishing boats. They, they've left family. They've left a tax booth. They, they have left their livelihood. They, they, they have liquidated everything, given it to their family, and they now are following Christ as itinerant evangelists. Jesus was an itinerant evangelist. So, we have left everything and followed you. We've gone from town to town. What then will there be for us? And Jesus will give a twofold answer. He'll address now, in this lifetime, and then He'll address later in the world to come. So, He says in verse 28, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, 
the word truly means amen, or it's the, actually the Greek word amen. So Jesus is actually amening his own sermon here. <laughs> truly I say to you, it was a joke, Kent. Uh, okay. <laughs> truly I say to you that you who have followed me, and we understand what that means, to get in the ministry and to be trained to preach the Word of God. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you will sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. You will receive reward and recognition in the world to come. When Jesus comes back, He will establish His earthly kingdom here upon the earth, and Jesus will sit on a literal throne, and there will be twelve literal thrones judging the nations, and you're going to be seated on those twelve thrones. I, I, I don't allegorize that. I don't spiritualize that. I take that at face value, literally for what it says. Now, verse 29 talks about the right now reward. And everyone who has left, that would be them, houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms, that's exactly what they've done. They left their nets immediately and followed Him. That's Matthew 4. They, they left their tax booth. That's Matthew 9. They just left it all behind. They left houses, farms, Boats, wives, family, they left it all to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice he says, for my name's sake, that's for the gospel, will receive many times as much. As much what? As much houses, as much farms as much brothers and sisters. You may say, no, wait a minute, that sounds like prosperity gospel. No, it's not. Prosperity gospel is a damnable heresy. What this is saying, as you travel after I ascend back to heaven, wherever you go to preach the gospel, there's going to be people who live in houses, brothers and sisters in Christ who live in houses, and they're going to take you in. And they have farms, and they grow food, and they're going to feed you. And wherever you go, there's going to be brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're going to encourage you, and they're going to love you, and they're going to pray for you. Wherever you go, there will be much provision for you because the body of Christ is going to be exponentially multiplying as the gospel goes forth. So he then says about the world to come and will inherit eternal life, and that refers to all of the blessings and benefits that will come in the world to come. Now, look at this last verse, verse 30. But, now the word but means by total contrast to what I just told you. But it's going to work out different for other people who didn't leave everything. But many who are first will be last. What does that mean? Well, they're first in prominence in this world. They are first in possessions in this world. 
just like that rich young ruler who would not let it go, who wanted to continue to, who wanted to have two masters, not one master, who wanted to live primarily and met maybe even exclusively for the things of this world, they're going to be last on the last day. There are some bodies now. They're going to be nobodies on the last day. And then he says, and the last first. As he's looking at Peter, and as he's looking at James and John and Andrew and Philip and Matthew, you're last right now because you've already, you just left it all behind. You gave it all up. You don't have a cent to your name. When those who are first become last, you who are now last will be first. And great will be your reward. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, whatever reward is going to go to James and John and Peter and Andrew and Philip is also going to go to those who received them, who had houses and who had farms and who had much possessions because Peter and James and John could have never done it. They could have never done it except you were there to help them to get from first base to second base. And somebody else will be standing at second base and help them get from second base to third base. So, for those of you who are not preachers, what a golden opportunity you have to be a servant of the servants. And how great will be your reward because you will share in a prophet's reward. And you will share in a rich, righteous man's reward. Now, I've got to take you to one last passage. I know I've run stop signs, but I want you to see it. Come to Mark 10. Because Jesus will say the same thing, but there's some extra words that I want you to see. In Mark 10, verse 28... It's the same context. This is Mark's version of what we just looked at in Matthew. Look at verse, just go straight to verse 29. There is no one who has left. This is referring to the preacher. There is no one who, or the missionary, who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake but that he will receive a hundred times as much. Now, just underscore that word now, in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, oh, and along with persecutions. And in the age to come, just underscore the age to come, eternal life. So it's both now and later, both now in this world as well as 
in the world to come, what Jesus is saying to His 12 disciples, and we can just take Judas out of that, you've left it all behind. The body of Christ, other believers, are going to step in and take care of you, and the reward that will come to you is going to come to them. And if they are helping many, as Phoebe was, it's going to add up to a greater reward because she supported many. So look at verse 31. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So many who have many things in this world but just clung to them and would not share them. They're going to be last on the last day. And others who either left it all behind to step out by faith and go preach the gospel and plant churches, or you help them in this financially, prayerfully, emotionally, at every level. You're going to be first on the last day. Because you invested your life and you invested your resources in helping those who have made the greatest sacrifice. I have been so privileged as I have traveled around the country and traveled around the world to have had many Phoebes. I'm not even going to walk you through the globe but who have been an immeasurable blessing to me. An immeasurable blessing. And I could have never done in a thousand years what the Lord has let me do, but that there are Phoebes behind the scenes who are putting the gas in the tank and making the thing run. So as you think about Phoebe, think about how God can use you to be a servant, to be a helper, to be a supporter of the needs of people and to help get people out to spread the gospel. Christianity is a team sport, and it requires everyone playing their position in order to get the gospel into the end zone. So that's Phoebe, and the more I dug into her and looked at what's in those first two verses, the more I realized I I just can't speed past her. So... I'm going to close in a word of prayer because I've gone over time. Um, and I've got to slip out pretty quick after this as well. Um, I'm not even certain when we meet next. It's, it's not next week. I don't. Thank you, Jonathan. April 22nd. So put that on your calendar. In fact, I'm, I'm flying back in just so I can be here uh, with you on April 22nd. So I want us to look at the rest of this list and 
Up next is Priscilla and Aquila, um, who were greatly used by the Lord as well. So, um, blessings to you. I'll be preaching this Sunday across the street at Trinity Bible. Uh, would love to see you tomorrow. I mean, uh, Sunday. I don't want to see you tomorrow, but I, <laughs> I, I want to see you on Sunday. It was a joke, Kent. And it's Easter. It's Easter. So please come, and the message will be on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I can, can hardly wait, really. So I look forward to seeing you this Easter Sunday. If you need a place to come to church, come to Trinity. If you can find your way here to Herbs, it'll be very easy to find your way to Trinity. <laughs> That's across the street. So let me pray. Father, thank you for recording in your word this precious woman, Phoebe, this servant, who was one who expedited the spread of the gospel by her behind-the-scenes help and support, and really even spread the book of Romans by taking it to the Romans. Well, what, what a woman. Lord, we thank you for women like this in our lives in our families, in our churches, they, they are trophies of grace who make the body of Christ run efficiently and effectively. We praise you for giving such gifts to us. Thank you for this passage. Apply it to our lives by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining me for the Bible study. If this was helpful for your Christian walk, please leave us a review wherever you listen to this show. And if you want to connect on social media, I can be found at Dr. Stephen J. Lawson or at One Passion Ministries. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join me again next week.